Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there, spooksters, and welcome to another Stabby Snippet here on Three Spooked Girls. It is I, Jessica, and as always, I am joined by my favorite ghoul friend, Tara. Hey, spooksters. So this week on our Stabby, we're going to be talking about Todd Christopher Colehip, or better known as the Amazon Reviewer Killer. <gasps> I feel like I kind of know about this, but I don't remember the details. Mm-hmm. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because that doesn't come in until like way later. <laughs> so Todd Christopher Colehip was born on March 7th, 1971 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida to Regina or she goes by Reggie, and William Samspell. Their marriage was very rocky from the beginning. And I want to say this. As you're listening, compare this dude to Kemper. Just all along. Compare his ass to Kemper. Because there are so many parallels. So I just want to point that out. So, like I said, Regina, William, their marriage was horrible. Like, really, really bad. They divorced when Todd was only two years old, which is really young. And Regina or Reggie would marry the next year when Todd was three and her husband, who I searched high and low for this dude's first name and could not find. So we're just going to call him Mr. Colehip. Okay. So Mr. Colehip, they got married. And in 1976, so when he was five, he legally adopted Todd. Todd never liked his stepfather. There was always some sort of issue. And it seems that there was a bit of abuse So his mother would not accept this and she would actually end up divorcing him and remarrying. But he wouldn't, she wouldn't actually divorce him until 1983. So there is a bit of time. I think also because of this, Todd desperately wanted to live with his biological father, who he had had zero contact with. I think it was just like this figment of his imagination that out there was this man who was going to like love and accept him for who he was. And I mean, this is total speculation, but he really wanted to live with his biological father. He also began to act up at home and in school. And this made his mother seek actual psychological help because he showed signs of severe and mental instability. At one point, he actually ended up stabbing a little girl in his class with a pair of scissors. Oh. Hold on, though. Before before you just go, oh, it's got to get a little worse. When his mother was questioned years later, like after Todd has been caught, spoiler, he's caught. (laughs) (laughs) 
she said, he stabbed her, but it wasn't a lot. It went in just a little bit. Just a little bit. We just kind of stabbed them a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's fine. Oh, my God. With a pair of scissors, mind you. I was just like, oh, my God. But when he was asked the reason he did it, he said that the little girl made fun of him. So he felt like he had to stab her. Which is the little thing that you need to tuck away in your brain as a personality trait for Todd. He was violent towards other kids other than just the stabbing incident. And he would often destroy school property or other kids' property. So when he was nine years old, he was actually sent to live for three months in a Georgia psychiatric hospital as an inpatient. And that's a big deal. Like, we're talking, that would be at nine, that'd be 1980. So that wasn't really something done. But I think his mother just couldn't control him. Like, he was said to be explosive and have, like, anger issues. He also, at nine years old, was said to be preoccupied with sexual thoughts and desires. At nine. That's so young. What the hell? Yeah. He was also excessively cruel to animals. He once, basically, there was, like, a dog in the neighborhood and he hunted it down with a gun. Oh, my God. And I was watching this. It was like part of this uh, little documentary I was watching. This guy does a really good job. It's going to be in the show notes, obviously, or not in the show notes, in the and on the sources page. I watch this guy a lot. He's like Irish, so not only do I enjoy his content, but I enjoy his accent. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was like in that they had a clip of his mom talking about him being cruel to animals, because obviously, if you look at like the serial killer triad and whatnot, cruelty to animals is on there. And she said that at one point in time, he asked her for a gerbil and she told him no because he had a pet goldfish. So he killed the goldfish (gasps) so that he could have the gerbil. Oh, my God. And when she asked him why he did it, he said, I didn't want it anymore. Wow. Dear goodness gracious. Mm hmm. That's a lot. (laughs) Right. So you can see why as a mother, she probably was very concerned because he needed help. After she divorces his adopted father, she just can't deal with him anymore. So she actually sends him off to live with his biological father, William, in Arizona. It's quite of a change. Mind you, I should say that they were living at this point in time in South Carolina. They had moved from Florida to South Carolina. They lived in Georgia for part of his childhood. Mm -hmm. So he goes to live with his father in Arizona, and he thinks this is going to be the best thing ever. And this is kind of a mistake because William has a certain hobby, which is collecting weapons. And he passes this hobby slash passion along to Todd, who this is their father bonding thing. They talk about guns and they play with guns and all this stuff, which is fine. Like, you can be a responsible gun owner. I don't care. Later, we'll talk about (laughs) Todd's guns, like, is a bit much. So basically, he taught Todd this well. Also, William had another hobby is he liked to blow things up. So he taught Todd how to blow things up slash make bombs. That's good. That's good. Right. I mean, I grew up in like a rural area and like one of the things the guys would do on the 4th of July is take those like pistol peats and like make watermelons explode, which was in a controlled environment. They weren't like trying to blow other things up. It's just watermelon, Mm -hmm. which in their defense fed birds later. Right. So after Todd's dad has instilled in him this love of guns and the love of blowing things up, some things would go a little awry in their relationship. And it was because Todd's dad, William, was dating so much, he would be gone. And Todd was like between the ages of 12 and 15. And so he kind of really wanted his dad around. And 
his dad was preoccupied with dating. Because, like, if you think about it, up that to that point, like, he'd been 12 years of the single guy with no responsibility and suddenly as a kid. And, you know, 12-year-olds are kind of self-sufficient. I wouldn't recommend leaving them for a long weekend by themselves, but... yeah. <laughs> I'm sure a couple hours on a Friday night, they can possibly not burn down the house. I don't know the rules anymore because I felt like I was babysitting at 12. Yeah. So I was responsible for other children, but I don't know the rules with today's kids. Oh, yeah. I was definitely watching my siblings before 12. So I don't know. I feel like I would say it's like 12 or 13 maybe now. I don't know. If anyone with older kids, you can let us know if you would like. Well, I also think that it might be different in, like, the area in we lived mm-hmm. because, like, we knew all of our neighbors and things like that. So I think it was fine. So Todd's upset with his dad because his dad's dating and his dad's like, whatever, I don't care. And Todd basically tells his dad, I kind of want to go home and live with mom. But Reggie's like, mm, I don't want him back. Oh, that's good. <laughs> right? Like, she kept making excuses like, no, I think it's better that he stay with you. He needs, like, a male influence. And I think it was just like he was too much for her to handle. Yeah. And she knew that. And I think she was a bit of an enabler. Just saying. I mean, we heard the comment earlier. Like, it didn't go in that deep. It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, it's Monty Python. Yes. So, this led to Todd staying with his dad longer. On November 25th, 1986, so, you know, my first Thanksgiving around time, <laughs> yeah. 15-year-old Todd kidnapped a 14-year-old girl in Tempe, Arizona. So he threatened her with a 22 caliber rifle, brought her back to his house, tied her up, taped her mouth shut, and then raped her. Oh. Yeah, I know. That's, that's like really sad. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> She's just a little girl. Right? Oh, God. And also... You're just a little boy. Right. So then he walked her home and threatened to kill her younger siblings if she told anyone. Well, of course she told people. Because, like, let's face it. Once he left, of course she's going to tell. And Todd was then arrested and charged with the kidnapping, sexual assault, and committing dangerous crimes against children, even though he was a child. So Reggie, (laughs) this is another shining moment in Reggie's history. When asked about this particular part of his life, she goes, he had a crush on her and just didn't know how to express or handle it. No, mom, this is not a boy pulling a girl's (laughs) hair or doing anything like that. This is uh, much, much worse. Please get the fuck. This is like so don't fuck with cats that mom. That's like he's innocent. He didn't do anything. However the fuck she was acting. She was basically acting like he didn't do anything. I don't remember. Jesus. This is also like how I think it like lines up with Kemper. He had issues as a kid. The mother couldn't handle him. Sent him off to live with another relative. Shit goes bad. I mean, obviously, this boy didn't kill his dad. Like how Kemper killed his grandparents. And I was like, I literally heard her those words pop out of her mouth. And I was like, fucking excuse me? Excuse me? Excuse me, madam? Did you just say that he had a crush and couldn't handle it? Ridiculous. Like, I don't have kids right now, but I'm going to make a very solemn swear or promise that if my kid ever did something like this, that would be the farthest thing. Like, there would be people restraining me because I'm pretty sure I would whoop that kid's butt. I'd be like, how could you do that to a human? Right? Anyway. Moving on. So Todd was apprehended by the police and he went into interrogation and he actually confessed to the crime. It's kind of a trait of his. (laughs) Another similarity to Kemper. 
he basically just confessed and he said that it was his way of rebelling against the father's abuse and absence and all that stuff. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that his mother, like, I have a feeling that his adopted father and was abusive to his mother as well. So I think there was kind of like this, that's what he was shown. Like, this is how men treat women. It's not right. It's not right, but I'm saying, like, this was, like, the nature that he saw. The model. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The nurture that he, yeah, this nurture that he saw. So his mother, like I said, came to support, wrote a heartfelt letter to the probation officer and was, like, asking for them to go easy on Todd because of all the abuse and everything like that. And because of that, he got to plead guilty to the kidnapping charges, but all the other charges were dropped. So he was sentenced to 15 years in prison and then had to register as a sex offender. At this point in time, Todd is diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and his IQ is tested and he's 118, which they considered it at the time to be average. I don't know what it is right now. So that's why I say at the time, because if times have changed, I don't want to like. Yeah. So the judge in the case said that Todd was actually very bright and that he was advanced scholastically or academically. However, he was behaviorally and emotionally dangerous and most likely could not be rehabilitated. (sighs) I can't. Sounds very Kemper like with the judges. Yeah. I can't remember, but I feel like his judge was like, "Mm, just no. Also, Todd's probation officer was like, you know, he wrote a letter to the the court saying he felt the world owed him something, which is why he behaved the way he did. And basically urged the court to not give this kid probation that he needed to stay in or parole that he needed to stay in that he had not learned his lesson. Uh, Well, his attorney, Todd's attorney, went and wrote and they basically said he did not believe that his client would go on to harm others in the future. He was wrong. So he gets locked up. And during his imprisonment, Todd is originally or initially is, gets like infractions. And that does include violent behavior. But he kind of changes like later. Once he like grows up, it says like after he reached the age of 20, he kind of like matured a little bit. So in August of 2001, Todd was released after serving 14 years. And he moved back with his mom in South Carolina. But while he was in prison, he actually graduated from Central Arizona College with a bachelor's degree in computer science. Super glad that people in Arizona paid for that. Right. And so from January of 2002 to November of 2003, he actually worked as a graphic designer for a company in the town of Spartanburg. And Spartanburg is very important because this is where all the shit from now on takes place. Got it, got it. So he then decides to go on to school again, and he goes to the University of South Carolina upstate and graduates in 2008 with a Bachelor's of Science in Business Administration slash Marketing. This is where shit you go, oh, really now? Despite being a registered sex offender, he was able to become a real estate agent in the state of South Carolina, and he got that license on June 30th, 2006. So he basically lied that he about his felony. And you cannot, here's the thing, at least in the state of California, you cannot be a felon and be a real estate agent. There's a lot, like I used to work for a home builder. Like people make fun of real estate agents. Like, oh, they're a real estate agent. No, like there's a lot of fucking legal shit that's with buying a house. And you could really fuck people over. 
Just saying. So Todd, in his little, like, South Carolina town, decides to build his own real estate firm. And he does. And he actually employs about a dozen agents. So I'm assuming at one point in time, he may have became a broker. And uh, during this time, many of Todd's friends claim that he was very hardworking. He was a very hardworking man. And that sometimes he was creepy. But, you know, it's like you have that friend. Like, Tara and I have someone from our past who's kind of a creep. I found him very endearing. I thought he was really funny. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because I have that weird sixth sense of humor. But, like, you know how, like, you have that one person that, like, always hits on you. And you're like, hmm, that's really not okay. But, like, the person I'm thinking would never actually take action and do anything. Todd kind of gave off the vibes of, like... Let's not be alone. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Right? But a lot of his friends were just like, it's Todd. One of the things that he liked to do is he frequented a waffle house in Roebuck where he actually harassed all of the waitresses to the point where the male cook was the only one who could take his order. Like nobody would serve him but this male cook because he was so creepy. One of the employees included a waitress by the name of... Megan Lee McCaw Coxie, which you need to tuck that name away for later. Here's another fun fact about Todd. Uh, A banker who worked with him, I'm assuming as like a lender, said that he would often find Todd at his office watching porn while he was at work. Oh, my God. Like, let's think about how gross is that? Like, right? Ugh. Could you imagine just like walking into an office to like be like, hey, I got your, you know, I got your clients approved and like porn and be like, oh, God. And be like, I'm never coming back here again. Bye. (laughs) It's such a small area. It's probably like he's the only real estate firm, you know, that kind of shit. Right. Ugh, poor dude or chick. I don't know. Oh, I think it was a guy, but they didn't specify. But it was said, and it is known, that he was recognized as the top-selling agent in the Carolina region. And even some customers who she had sold her home to him remembers, like, he was extremely outgoing and professional, but noted that he would often talk about his firearms and subtly use sexual innuendo during their conversations. Yeah. One of his assistants described him as angry and would get, like, really condescending towards her partner, her work partner. So it's like, hmm. So he had these, like, happy people in his life who were like, Todd's a great old hoot. He says really pervy shit and everyone loves it. I get the picture that a lot of people just thought he was the guy who, like, would send you the picture of the gross, inappropriate meme from time to time. And you'd just be like, oh, it's fucking Todd. Also, during this time... He acquired his private pilot license, which I'm like, cool. So he uh, gets to fly out of, like, gets to fly himself places. He can rent planes and fly himself. Another fun fact is that he started buying property outside of South Carolina. Hmm, okay. Yeah. In May of 2014, he purchased nearly 100 acres of land located in the area nine miles from the community of Moore for $305,000. He set fences up around the property, which costed about 80 grand. So to put it lightly, dude had money. Well, that was 2014. And now we're going to flash forward to 2016. And it's Labor Day weekend. And Kayla Brown and her boyfriend, Charles or Charlie Carver, go missing. And friends and family are just like, where the fuck are these people? 
And after they're noted to be missing, the next day, Charlie's Facebook status, like their relationship status changed from like dating to married, which wouldn't be a big red flag, except for the fact that Charles still hadn't divorced his ex-wife, Nikki. They were just legally separated. So how could they legally have gotten married? And of course, people are like, congratulations. Like, and other people are like, what's going on? Let me know. Like, talk to me. It was a bit rough because then they were just, they wouldn't answer their phones because their phones were off and they were just communicating through Facebook. I will note that I'm just going to say this here because there isn't much proof on it, but there is a theory out there that Nikki was somehow involved in all of this, his ex-wife, but there's no proof other than like a weird Facebook post about like some shooting related comment, but there's no like hard proof and Todd hasn't confirmed that theory. But anyway. A bunch of other posts were happening. The way that Charlie was like interacting with people on the post seemed really odd and not his tone and wasn't really coming across as him. And a lot of people like were like, maybe they ran away because of like Nikki or because her ex fiance or whatever. Like to say that their personal life was complicated is an under fucking statement. She had just recently been engaged. He obviously was still married. Their employment situation was weird. They worked for a cleaning company. Her ex sold Todd a lot of, we'll get there, but sold Todd a lot of his guns. It said that Kayla was a stripper, which I want to point it out. Like, I don't care what you say. Like, being a stripper does not equate to what happened to her. No. Mm Mm-mm. So the police started investigating this. Charlie's post caught their eye and it didn't seem right. The other thing was, is they were looking into where they were last known to be. And they had been working with a cleaning company and they had the last day they had cleaned Todd's property. I've kind of heard a couple of different things where like the police went and talked to him and he said that they just like came and left. And then I have like read and looked at things where they don't even mention the police talking to Todd. So I'm not quite sure what happened. But the other thing that they did is in November of that year, they finally got a bigger lead in the case, which is that they got access to their phone records. And Kayla, our favorite thing to like solve crimes is her cell phone pinged off a tower that was near his big property. When they looked it up and they saw that it was his property, they were like, oh, shit. So on November 3rd, 2016, two police investigators went out to the property while other law enforcement went to Todd's. It's either his home or his home office or his office. It's like really weird because I think it's his house. But you know how like sometimes like real estate offices look like houses, but they're real estate offices. I can't quite tell because definitely he's sitting in front of an office situation. I saw the his arrest, so I'm not quite sure what it is. So they'd go to his question him and Todd at this point, like when he was released from prison, like he was a fit man. But at this point, he's a big dude and they cuff him. And I know that a lot of police do this when they think that like if the person they're questioning could overpower them while this is happening and they're questioning him about like where these people are. The two investigators out at the property come across this like series of like a couple buildings, but they come across a shipping container and they're out there like they're making enough noise that Kayla can hear them. And Kayla starts banging on the side of the shipping container and they have these big locks on the shipping container. So they have to get a saw and cut it. And when they go in there, It is not an understatement to say that she was chained up like a dog. Like, actually, I have seen dogs 
chained up nicer. She had a collar with a chain around her neck. Her hands were handcuffed behind her back. And she was like chained to the bed with like an ankle cuff. So the police find her and like they immediately like they ask. I watched the video of them finding her and they go, where's your buddy? And she goes, Charlie, he shot him. So they're like, what? She's like, he shot them and then like buried him. So they get her out of the shipping container. They start taking her in via ambulance. They've raided out into the people who are at or with Todd. And they say, look, one more time, like, where's Kayla? And he's like, I don't know. And he's like, we know where Kayla is. We have her. We got her out of the shipping container. And Todd is just kind of like unfazed. You can tell he like shifts a little bit, but it's not like, oh, my God, they caught me. It's more like, and? Oh, God, that's scary. Right. So they arrest Todd. Now, Kayla spends the ride to the hospital telling the detectives what to do because they need to get this story out of her. And she basically says that since Labor Day weekend, it happened pretty quickly. The story is, is that he came and like got her, handcuffed her and then cuffed her ankles, ball gag in her mouth and then left her and then went and killed Charlie because... Charlie talked back or was sassy with him. Of course. Mm-hmm. He a fucking child. Mm-hmm. And so then she proceeds to say what happened is that every day about three o'clock, Todd would show up, take her out of the shipping container, take her to another building, feed her, have his way with her, and then put her back in. Now, originally she says like she wasn't raped. And the fact that she says that because she never said no. And I think this is the technicality Todd was going to, like, try to play on. But he also made it very clear to her that her purpose was there to physically be with him or he would have no use for her. And she sees what happens to people who have no use to him. He kills them. So granted, she never said no. But, like, I think people have the situation where they're like, I could possibly survive that. Like, I could survive the emotional turmoil. Also, Todd was, like, planning to build, like, at his home like a hidden room for her. Like he had plans, like he wasn't ever going to let her go, but like she was at least going to live. So a few days go by and they find Charlie in a shallow grave. And that was on November 5th. Todd tells them where to look because Todd sings like a fucking canary. And when they're there, they find two more corpses and it would be a victim by the name of Johnny and his wife, Megan McCaw Coxie, which I mentioned earlier was the waitress from the Waffle House that he used to go to. Right. Oh. How he actually got them is they also worked for this cleaning company. And they were identified by their tattoos, actually. It was like a whole year before. They were reported missing on December 22nd, 2015. And they were killed in the exact same way. Johnny was killed instantly like Charlie was. But then Megan was killed a few days later. So Kayla lived through... 65 days before she was found. And she even said, like, she didn't know if the people on the outside were going to help her. She just took a chance, which I think eventually they would have gotten, like, a a warrant. But who knows? He could have moved her. So (laughs) here's the thing is that 
Todd just tells the cops. Like, he sits down and, like, tells the cops everything. And the most shocking revelation isn't that these three people are dead and that he kept this person alive for 65 days and, like, sexually assaulted her. It's that back in November of 2003, he actually was responsible for a spree killing at a motorcycle shop. Oh, my God. So basically, this is what had happened. In, like, 2003, he bought some sort of motorcycle. It's a Suzuki something. I don't know what it is. I didn't write it down. Every man who listens to our thing is going to be like, it's this. <laughs> In the sources, you'll have most of the interview there. So if you want to watch it. And this was at a place called Superbike Motorsports. And basically what happened is his bike got stolen and then they retrieved it. But he was having issues riding it because I think it was like too big for him, too powerful. So he takes it back. He wants to exchange it. Which I was like, can you exchange a motorcycle? I guess. I don't know. I guess. He goes to exchange it. And basically the people there, he said, laughed at him. Because he couldn't ride the bike properly. Which I'm like, okay, like, I get that. But, like, do we have to kill people over it? So, he basically came back with his gun. And he shot Brian Lucas, 30, who was the service manager. He shot the mechanic, Chris Sherbert, who was 26. He shot the bookkeeper, who was the owner's mom, Beverly Guy. And she was 52. And then the owner was Scott Ponder, and he was 30. And it's super sad because, like, his son was 15 at the trial. It was, like, 15 years later. So, like, he didn't even know his dad. Oh, that is sad. I was like, no. All four of them died of multiple gunshot wounds. And they had no idea. They had put out, like, an APB on the person, but they could never find it. And the sketch did kind of look like him. But um, he just basically came in and killed all of these people because they've made fun of him for not being able to ride a motorcycle. So Todd has issues with people mocking him, which as I mock him right now, I'm thank God he's locked up in prison. (laughs) Just saying. So basically, Todd makes deals. Like, that's what he does. Like, that's how he handles situations. So he makes the deal that he will confess to Charlie's murder, the murder of the Coxes, the murders at the motorcycle shop, If he can meet with his mother, give her a photograph, and transfer money to a college fund for a friend's child. And they're like, okay, that's pretty reasonable, right? And, you know, obviously they listen. And during that meeting, he confesses to his mother about all the killings and the kidnappings and just, like, also alludes to her that there's more out there. And she's like, what do you mean there's more out there? Like, how many more? And he goes, I couldn't count them on my hands or my fingers. I mean, there's seven right there. So there's at least four more that we don't know about. Oh, my God. In 2016, after all this stuff happened, it was rumored that he may have participated or been part of an unsolved bank robbery in 2003. They could never confirm that. When they search his property, they find so much shit. He has like, okay, like he has so many weapons. He has a fucking arsenal. And I mean, like, I know people who have guns and they have a lot of gun accessories. No, like, this dude had so much stuff that they put on the news. It was like, I can't even, oh, it's it's way too much. And in a letter, okay, there's this YouTuber who does these things where he either writes or serial killers or people in prison write to him. It's called Prison Pals or Prison Pin Pals. Um, And Todd wrote to him, (laughs) right? No, I watched the whole thing. I was like, what? And he reads the letter and he'll like take questions and write to the people like the questions like he's pen pals with these people. I'm like, oh, Jesus. 
And it's like pretty recent because like in there, he's talking about COVID. He's talking about the election. He's talking about like all the stuff happening in 2020. So we're like, this is super new. (laughs) So he had suppressors. He had semi-automatic rifles. There's literally a picture of, you know, like those standing tool chests. Think like Home Alone people, like where it goes down the stairs. He has one of those, but like each drawer is just like gun shit. Jesus. Mm Mm-hmm. So how could a felon purchase all this shit? Well, I let it slip earlier. Basically, there was a guy that Kayla was actually engaged to, and he would buy all this shit, like he would buy all this shit online or legally, and then turn around and sell it to Todd, who could not purchase it, because unlike the real estate uh, licensing board in South Carolina, they have to report that the government like pays attention to who buys guns. Let's be honest. So it was actually like people were like, well, do you think he did this? And he was making all these jokes. And basically, they start like looking at places that Todd spent a lot of time online. And one of the places they found that he spent a lot of time online was Amazon, which let's face it, I like Amazon and I spend an awful lot of time on Amazon. Same. I don't review anything (laughs) on Amazon. Yeah. Mm -mm. However, Todd did. So we're going to talk about some of the things that he reviewed. So I think this is a taser. I can't, or it's a knife. I can't tell. It's like a handle or something. And he reviews it. It's blacker than my soul and priced right. Okay. So here's a mini shovel. So it's a SOG entrenching tool. FO8N folding shovel. High, I think it's carbonate, but like then it cuts off. This is the review. It's a five star review. It says, Keeping car when you need to hide bodies and you left your full-size shovel at home does not come with a midget, which would have been nice. Like, okay, let's be real. How many times have we been scrolling through things like, okay, in my hometown, somebody legitimately reviewed the jail. And it's funny. And we sit there and we're like, yeah, these type of reviews are funny because we would just be like, oh, this person's fucking with us. Like, this isn't serious. Yeah. Oh, here's another fun one. It is a chainsaw. Oh, God. It is. Works excellent. Getting the neighbor to stand still while you chase them with it is hard enough without having an easy-to-use chainsaw. Yeah, that just screams troll. But because we know it's not, it just... uh, I don't like it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A master padlock, um, which is what they cut off of the fucking storage container. He goes, solid locks. Have five on a shipping container. Won't stop them, but sure will slow them down if they're too old to care. He also, I know he reviewed another one saying that if you get like a different padlock, you know, if it's something along the lines of like, it's really great, keeps people out. And if anything, you can just go old school and put it in a sock and beat them with it. I was like, oh, my God. So like people just thought this guy was a troll and he was not. So they're kind of putting together like this guy is just very fucking cocky. So on May 26, 2017, he was given seven consecutive life imprisonments. Basically, he's never getting parole. They assured him that he would never get parole. He got this because he confessed to everything. So he basically took a plea bargain and that plea bargain spared him from capital punishment. At his hearing, he did say that there weren't any more victims out there, but he has since said there was. Now, 
In December of 2017, he wrote the Spartanburg Herald Journal claiming that there were more victims that had not been discovered and that he had reached out to the FBI or like the FBI had been part of this and they just kind of brushed it off because he did. They did go look for additional bodies and just couldn't find them. So they I think like he probably just didn't remember where he put them. Oh, God, that's horrible. I say that like questioning or he's fucking with them, one of the two, but something like that happened. Mm -hmm. Now, Kayla has gotten a little bit of press for this. She actually went on Dr. Phil and I watched part of it. It was emotional. Like, that's the really hard part about victims that survive is that they have to retell the story over and over again. And this is a big story. So people want to know about it. And this year, in August of this year, the victims of the family have gone after him for a civil suit. And obviously, he has some sort of money because he was doing quite well. But I don't think he had quite enough that they started selling off his personal items. And he had like a used ATV that sold for like six, seven thousand dollars, I want to say. Basically, people were selling like trash bags that had, were in the storage unit and like weird things like that. So. I'm not 100% sure. They also, his property in which was on was sold to a place that was basically, it's a group. I think they're going to turn it into some sort of like thing because it's like a group that owns it and it's like mysterious or weird properties or something like that. But we do get the update from him most recently when I watched the Prison Pal YouTube. And basically, I think he's doing well in there. He made a very fucking weird comment. Basically, he's saying about how everyone is just selling his shit off and that, you know, people are claiming things that aren't aren't his they're selling. And so he's somehow getting this like he he sees the news and everything like that. Like he's up on current events. He also writes in the letter that the guy is reading on on the YouTube channel that he said to a female guard, we should have a baby, make a serial killer baby and sell it on eBay and make money. Ew. Yeah, this is the this is the type of guy this is. So he is, as of right now, rotting away in prison. And there he will stay. And there he needs to stay. Yeah. He just, for me, he parallels Kemper so much. Because he was young. He was out of control. He was arrested for a period of time. Or like he was incarcerated for a period of time. And then he was set free at a, like a youngish age. And then proceeded to like be dumb and now the dude's like this guy's 49 and in prison so hmm. good riddance so that ends the story of todd we may have talked about him on the podcast prior in like a mention but we definitely have not dove deep into this case it's really interesting though yeah that's just wild for sure well i hope you guys enjoyed this episode and we will see you back here on monday for another full length so bye guys bye